Amen. Psalm 130, Psalm, Psalm 34 says, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praises will or shall be in my mouth. My soul makes a boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. I love the next verse. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name. Here's the corporate part together. You could have stayed home and certainly worshiped the Lord by yourself. But Psalm 34 calls us to corporately worship Jesus together. And I never, ever, ever take for granted this opportunity that we have to come before the Lord corporately together. So I, I am excited about that. Listen, let's do this. I, I really want to knock off a large portion of Habakkuk today. So if you guys indulge me and grab whatever contains the word of God for you and meet me in Habakkuk chapter three. We're going to jump right to it. Uh, as you are turning there, let, let me quickly publicly affirm my excitement for June 15th, the Sex Rewired uh, conversation that we will have. Uh, it is going to be a great night. A lot of times, you know, we live in a very, very sex-saturated culture. And we're hearing about sex everywhere. I mean, you can't even go on social media now without seeing some type of perversion of what God has created as good and as holy. We can't even see it now on social media without seeing the perversion of it. And because we're hearing it and talking about it in every other place, it's important. We are doing you a disservice if we don't talk about what redeemed sex looks like and what God's thoughts on sex and sexuality looks like. So June 15th, I love the way Gabe said it, nothing will be off the table. We will talk about some stuff that you might clutch your pearls a little bit and say, man, I didn't know we could talk like that in church. It's going to get that real. Uh, and so please, please invite your friends, invite your family, invite your coworkers. Uh, ladies, invite that dude that's trying to holler at you because he needs to hear what we have to talk about that night. Uh, unfortunately, I think we'll break up some relationships that night, uh, but it might be a good thing. But June 15th, seriously, <laughs> invite five friends if you can. Invite five or, or six friends, and, and uh, let's see if we can have some good conversation. There'll be a time of worship. It'll be a time of question and answer, which I'm excited about. I'll be doing some question and answering about what sex is and what it is not, according to the Bible. And there will be a good time of panel discussion. Uh, I, I've heard who the panelists are, and I'm excited to hear from them. And so that must be a panelist right there. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's get at it. Uh, we're, we're in Habakkuk 3. Before I read it, let, let me just quickly rewind us back to two weeks ago when we looked at the beginning part of Habakkuk 3. We were in verses 1 and 2. I don't know if you remember this, but remember that all of Habakkuk 3, it says in verse 1, it's a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. And there, there's a word in there that we typically don't use much, according to Shigenoth. And, and I have to say this again because we'll, we'll forget it if we read this passage without going back to verse 1 real quick. Shigandoff literally means it's a musical tone or a musical note. So in other words, this prayer of Habakkuk's was put to some type of beats. It was put to some type of music. It was accompanied by musical instruments. And so it's interesting, as we read the content of chapter 3, which we'll read a hefty portion today, as you read the content, don't disconnect that they're singing this. Don't read this like it's just content. It's just a prayer. It is a prayer, but it's put to some music. And so I do not want us to disconnect that. This is a prayer according to Shigenoff. Uh, I don't know if this makes sense, but they're getting shiggy with it. You see what I did there? Don't do it. All right. Verse three. See how I, I listen. I know when to just keep moving. I'm going to keep moving. Verse three. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount 
paren. Please circle this if you have this in your Bible. Selah. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him were pestilence and plagues. Plague followed him at his heels. Verse six, he stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. Here's that word again, Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and wreathed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows, they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. Please underline this phrase as well. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Last time we're going to see this word, Selah. You pierced with his arrows, his own arrows, the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trample the seas with your horses, the surging of the mighty waters. Last verse. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the Lord, for the day of the trouble to come upon people who invade us. I want to preach this morning or this afternoon from the topic entitled An Unusual Song. Can you just help me preach and announce this title and look at your neighbor and say, this song is a little weird. Look at somebody else and say, this song is just a little unusual. An unusual song. Let us look to the Lord. Father, we do pray this morning um, because we're back at it again. And we do not want to approach your word uh, any old way, but we want to do so with reverence. And so, Father, would you humble our hearts now? We're coming in this room from a chaotic week, some of us. Some of us had a chaotic day yesterday. Maybe even this morning has just been a little messy. And so, Lord, I pray that you would calm us and that you would speak to us through your word this morning. We do recognize that your word is a lamp unto our feet and that it is a light unto our paths. And so, Lord, would you illuminate the dark areas of our life? We do not come in this room thinking we have it all together, but we come here submitting ourselves to your word because we realize that we really are trifling. We really are a mess, and we need the nutrients from your word. Mostly, Lord, we need Jesus. So would you show us Jesus even from this Old Testament prophet? I think of when Jesus said that all of Scripture testifies about me. So that means that he is somewhere in this passage. And Father, help us to see him and see him clearly this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. An unusual song. My first introduction to uh, the biblical stories or the stories of the Bible, my first introduction was really about the age six and, or, or maybe even seven. 
where my father had a collection of a series of books, and they were animated biblical stories. They had a few words, but they had these really detailed pictures of what was going on. Every page you flip was a different detail, and it all described the scriptures. And I was so intrigued by these collections of books. I can't tell you how many times I started in Genesis and went all the way through Revelations and just kept looking at these stories and reading the stories. And I wouldn't describe myself as having a, having a strong devotional life at six or seven, but there was something about the stories that I just found intriguing. I remember first reading about Daniel and the lion's den by looking at this ser- these series of books. I remember reading about David and Goliath by looking at these books. I remember reading about uh, David and Bathsheba. Now, I didn't know all the details, but I knew something wasn't right about David's position with Bathsheba. Something about that story. I remember reading uh, Sodom and and Gomorrah. I remember reading that story, and for weeks I couldn't sleep at the thought of God just destroying a whole nation. I remember looking at the crucifixion of Christ, not fully understanding how Jesus died for my sins, but there was something about that moment that on the cross that I realized that was the climax of the story. That was the climax of everything. Like you could just, you could sense it, you could see it, and after that you move on through the rest of the New Testament, and it kept pointing back to this moment in history where Jesus died for us. My father, it didn't take long for him to notice that I was interested in these books, and he began to explain, explain to me how precious these stories were and how these stories were God-inspired or they were God-breathed. He began to tell me how everything I read was an actual event that God is telling us about. And in the midst of him telling me about these stories and really affirming my love for the stories, what he began to do was say, I need to sharpen how you do your devotional life. This is how you do it. I'm not going to only teach you more about these stories, but I'm going to teach you a prayer. Not only am I going to teach you a prayer, but I'm going to teach you a song because a good devotion is when you are praying, when you are reading the word of God and when you are singing a song. That is a good, complete day of testimony and a good day of devotion. And so he did what any good, loving father would do. He taught me the Lord's prayer. I remember scratching my head saying, what in the world does hollow it mean? Some of y'all in here still going, I don't know what hollow it means. But I remember hearing this word in this in this prayer and going, what does that mean? But after a while, I began to memorize this prayer because he would teach it to me every day. I mean, if you have memorized that prayer, he also taught me a song and taught me a little song called Jesus Loves Me. And I would sing that song. And so he would say was, every time you're about to read these books, what I want you to do is start with that prayer that I taught you, then read, and then end with singing, Jesus loves me. And after a while, that just became a normal rhythm, a normal. I still today do my devotional life wrapped around what he taught me when I was six years old. And, and, and what I found out is that that song and that prayer became, and, and those stories became such a part of my childhood that in moments of loneliness, I remember I would sing that song. In moments when I was frightened, I would recite the Lord's Prayer. There was a moment in my childhood, my father was 22 years in the, in the military, and he was stationed over in Okinawa, Japan. And for a year straight, I did not see my father because he was stationed somewhere else. And I remember feeling lonely, but I said, you know what? I'm going to sing this song that he taught me. And it made me feel not only closer to him, but in some weird way, it made me more connected to a higher being. And I did not know who this God was, but it made me connected to him. Well, 
In many ways, chapter 3 of Habakkuk is like me singing that song. Because chapter 3 isn't only a prayer from the prophet. Chapter 3 is a song as well. And so what Habakkuk is doing is many generations to come, when Habakkuk is dead and gone, many generations of Judeans will be singing the prayer of God's faithfulness that is found in chapter 3. And so in dark moments, they would have sang this song. In dark moments, they would have recited this prayer. And I don't know about you and how, how your life works and how your day goes, but hear me, don't ever get too far away from a prayer. Don't ever get too far away from a song. You ever been cleaning up in a song? I'm not talking about Childish Gambinos. This is America. I mean, like, and I like that song. I'm talking a worship song hits you to while you're vacuuming the floor. You're sitting there worshiping Jesus. You, you ever been working out and you put on Fred Hammond, almost killed yourself with the weights? I'm telling you, songs have a way of lifting us up. If you can't memorize the scripture, if you can't recall what was talked about on Sunday, you can remember a song that can put you in a good position with the Lord. Well, that's what this song is. But can we agree in this room that this is a weird song? Like, I understand Jesus loves me being a song that encouraged me. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. That is an encouraging song. But this song we just read in Habakkuk chapter three, it's just a little weird. I mean, it's talking about pestilence. It's talking about plagues. This song is talking about a glittery spear. What in the world is Habakkuk talking about? I doubt if this song would make it in the rotation of Epiphany's worship team. Can you imagine coming in and we're singing How Great Thou Art and we're singing Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And instead of singing that song, we're, we're saying let's sing songs about pestilence and plagues. Doubt if you would come back. You'd be like that church is just something's not right with that church. But in our text this morning, that is what Judah was singing. Because what, as we dig into what this weird, unusual song is about, you will see that they're really singing about God's faithfulness. That's what this entire chapter is about. God's faithfulness and his holiness on how he moves to judge and punish sin. And it points us ultimately to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The first thing I want you to pick up about this song, it's in verse 3. The first thing I want you to pick up is that this song is a good way to help us to stop, to pause, to reflect, and to worship. If you're writing notes, write those four things down. This song, not just in verse 3, but all throughout this song will help us to stop, to pause, to reflect, and to worship. Let me show you it. Verse 3. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Look at this word, Selah. Many commentators will argue and try to figure out what this word means, but in reality, we don't know for sure what this means. But I think there's a good consensus that this word literally means to stop or pause and think about what was just said. But what I love about what Habakkuk does here is that when it, whenever you see Selah put next to, or Selah, however you want to say it, whenever you see it put next to a song or a psalm, it's not just causing us to stop and reflect. Many have suggested that it's causing us to allow the worship, the music, the, the orchestra to keep playing while the believers worship God. Okay, let me tell you why that's important. Our boy Habakkuk started this book with questions and complaints, but he ends the book with praise and worship. 
That is a maturing Christian where you can start your journey off confused, questioning God, questioning his goodness, questioning his kindness, questioning his mercy. But at some point, the questions have to stop. At some point, we got to worship. And what I love is that Habakkuk doesn't question or complain to God. He hasn't done it for two chapters. We haven't seen him do it since chapter one. Now we're in chapter three and no more questions. You do not see him complaining at all in chapter three. What do we get in chapter three? Is Selah. We get a moment where we get to stop and we get to we get to worship and reflect and we get to pause and we get to meditate on God's faithfulness. Now, I'll give you that. There are some times that God is just confusing. There are some seasons, maybe you're in this room right now and God seems very confusing to you, but never let confusing seasons stop you from worshiping God. Because even though Habakkuk is worshiping in chapter three, all of his questions haven't been answered. All of his complaints have not been addressed. He still is not swayed by the circumstances of life. He is continuing to praise our God. And I just want to know if there's any worshipers in this room that doesn't let anything stop you from worshiping God. I don't care what I don't care what that relationship is like. I don't care what they're doing at work. I came into the house this morning to worship the living God. Selah is what we see here. See, I, I have a Pentecostal background, and so, you know, I I'm, can be very charismatic at times. I try to control myself here, but let me promise you something that you see here. When you see Selah in the text, this is a praise break right here. That's what this is. And what I love about the praise break is the praise break isn't only in verse 3. He does it again in verse 9. He does it again in verse 13. Sprinkled throughout this song is moments to stop, let the orchestra play, and you worship the Lord. And see what we do when we come in worship. I was convicted when I read this this week. And I was convicted because I realized, I don't know if you've picked this up, but every time I come in here, it's kind of therapeutic for me. I come in with my, you know, with my coffee and I sit and I worship with one hand. I got coffee in the other. And God convict me. How are you sipping coffee in the middle, middle of worship? Drink that coffee in there. What are you doing in the midst of a moment to worship Jesus? I'm half worshiping Jesus. But here's what I know. You may not have coffee in your hand, but many of you in this room do the same thing. You come in here, you give God half. If you look at the game tonight, I bet you you'll be worshiping then. Steph Curry hit that three, you're going to be screaming, LeBron, do that. Because LeBron, I mean, I'm just a LeBron fan. He's going to do his thing tonight. I'm praying about it. But anyway, you're going to worship at that moment, but you come in here and you're quiet. And if you see somebody worshiping, you're normally like, ah, that's just weird. That church does that. Why do they do that? But let me tell you something about, about Selah, stopping to reflect on God's faithfulness. If that doesn't cause worship, I don't know what will. When you realize that God has brought you from a mighty long way, it should cause some type of worship in this room. But you know what we do? We're calm and collective. We are intellectual. So we come in here and we read the words on the screen. And, you know, I love our worship music. Thank God for the worship team. Our songs are theologically rich. Our songs are biblically faithful. Our songs ultimately are Christ-centered. We do not have a song, a bunch of songs with a bunch of pro personal pronouns. We're not interested in enlarging my territory. We're interested in enlarging the territory in the name of Jesus Christ. And so I love our worship songs, but there has to be a moment where you stop looking at the screen and you go into worship. And you know you're worshiping when you got that worship ugly face. 
Your worship should make your, when you cry, you should cry your makeup off. Worship should make you drop to your knees at the living God. Worship should make you lift your hands. Worship, worship should make you jump up and down. But no, I'm intellectual. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the words. I got to process it a little bit. And then on Monday, I'll lift my hands based on the song on Sunday. But they're not doing that in our text. In our text, they bust out. and work. Here's what I love about the Selah. It doesn't even wait to the end of verse 3. Smack dead in the middle of verse 3, it gives it to us. Smack dead in the middle of verse 9, it gives us to us. And then at the end of verse, thing, verse 13, it once again says, Selah, moments of worship, moments of praise. And if you're in this room and you're thinking to yourself, listen, that's you. You got a charismatic background. When I read the text, I can meditate. But there were men in the text that went crazy in worship. Okay, let me put a little Bible here. Psalm, uh, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6 says this about David, King David, a man of, 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 of position and wealth. Look at what he does. It says, wearing a linen ephod, which was his clothes. David was dancing before the Lord. Look how hard he was dancing with all his might. While he and all of Israel were bringing back the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from the window. And when she saw King David, here it is again, leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. I have no time to deal with the fact that she despised him. What I wanted to point out is the fact that David is dancing and dancing so hard his clothes fall off. We come in the house of the Lord and we don't even sweat out our clothes. But David danced them all the way off. Okay, you, you might not have, have, have gotten with me with David, but let's try the elders here. Re Revelation chapter 4, verse 10 to 11 says this. Then 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. Okay, maybe that didn't get you. Psalms 150, got to get you. Psalms 150 says this, praise him, praise him with the sounding of trumpets. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with the timbre and dancing. Praise him with strings and pipes. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with the resounding cymbals. Here's, here it is. Let everything that have breath praise the Lord. Over and over again, we see expressive worship in the text. And in our text here, Judah is stopping to pause to expressively worship Jesus. But once again, we come in here and we just want to think. We just want to meditate. But your meditation, I'm not saying don't think. Do not check your brain at the door. Any church that just wants you to check your brain and be brainless, listen, there are answers to your questions. If you got questions about Christianity, you got questions about God, there's answers to the questions. But let me promise you, do not get in here and get stuck on theology. Do not get in here and get stuck on doctrine. At some point, you got to worship the one we're talking about. And so what do we see Habakkuk is doing? He is setting up a moment, not just for Habakkuk, not just for Judah present to worship, but for generations to come. will be worshiping because they will be singing this song. All throughout this chapter, Selah, Selah, Selah. Let's keep going here because what we're going to see now is the reason they're worshiping is because they're remembering God's faithfulness. Watch the text, verse 3. God came from Taman. And the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah, his splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. 
His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plagues, followed at his heel. Verse number six, he stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? What you see in verses 3 to 8 is Habakkuk recalling God's faithfulness at another time that God's people were in bondage. Stay with me. Keep in mind, God said in chapter one that I'm going to use the Babylonians, a wicked nation, to punish my people. But in the midst of him saying that, Habakkuk now reaches back to the Exodus story. And he remembers a time where all of Israel was in bondage in Egypt. And in the midst, that's why the word talks about pestilence. Where else do you see plagues in this book, you see it in the book of Exodus, which is the Exodus story. You see him talking about verse number three, God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. If you look at the ancient east, uh, a map of the ancient east, and you looked at the route that was taken from Egypt for, to get from Egypt to the promised land, they would have had to pass through Mount Paran and Taman. And so he is showing us here God's faithfulness before of bringing God's people out, and he's now remembering it, and now he's getting all of Judah to remember that. Now, stay with me. Why is this important for us to look back? Because Habakkuk wasn't living during the time of the Exodus that God delivered his people. This was at least 800 years before Habakkuk was even born. So how in the world does Habakkuk know to remember God's faithfulness? Here's how. He found it in the word of God. In other words, he had to read the word of God in order to remember God's faithfulness. He had to look back at the what we call the Tanakh or the Torah or the first five books, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. What we see Habakkuk doing is Habakkuk would have read his Bible because he's now reaching back to a time that they were in bondage. And so what we see in the midst of God's punishment, what brings Habakkuk encouragement is singing, what brings Habakkuk encouragement is praying, and what brings Habakkuk encouragement is reading his word. And there are moments, I, I'm not saying you won't go through. You probably will go through some hardship. You probably will go through dark days. But he, I love what Habakkuk is doing, and I'm praying that we would apply that. In the midst of dark days, you got to remember back to moments where God brought you out. I love the, the, the way Ty Tribbett says it. He said, if he did it before, he could do it again. And so what you see here in the back is he's like, God brought us out before. When all of Israel was praying for a deliverer, God said, I'm sending my son Moses. And in the midst of that, that situation, he's now reflecting upon what's going to happen in the future. He says, God, I need you to do that again because I know you can do it. Why? Because you've done it before. And so he's reaching back and thinking about God's faithfulness. And I pray that that would be the story of your life in the midst of hardship. All of his his questions aren't answered. Maybe you still got questions for God. But I pray that you would reach back and to remember, because reality is everybody in this room should be dead. You shouldn't have woke up 
this morning. Like, consider you. Consider the offense that you have made to a holy God. We should not be alive. But what I love is that God showed you mercy and that God showed you grace. And you got to remember back to moments where you was trifling and God still loved you. And in the midst of that, it should cause some type of worship. Now, the text is going to move here from describing the faithfulness of God and is going to describe God as a divine warrior. Do not miss the language that is in the text. Look at verse 9 with me. It says, you strip the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and wreathed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun stood, the sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows, as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. I told you to underline this. You threshed the nations with anger. I don't know if you've ever seen a threshing machine, but a threshing machine is a lot like a lawnmower. As a farmer would crop his field, he would thresh it. And when he threshed it, it's a machine that you push and there's blades. And anything that's in the path of that threshing machine would get chopped down. So it's like mowing the lawn, but look at how Habakkuk describes the power and the might of this God. Because he does not say that God is threshing fields. He doesn't say that God is threshing grass. I'll go deeper. He doesn't say that God is threshing people. He's threshing nations. As I would mow the lawn on a Sunday afternoon, God in his holiness is threshing anything that is sinful. And he's like, he's pushing the lawnmower. Nothing can stand against this lawnmower. Nothing can stand against this threshing machine. But here's what you need to rest yourself at. Outside of knowing Jesus, you're in, you're in verse 12. Outside of knowing Jesus, we are threshed at the, at the righteous wrath of God. But through Jesus Christ, Jesus gets threshed on your behalf. But what the text tells us here, that this God is a massive God. There, there was one time I was mowing my lawn, and this is when we used to own a house out in Philadelphia. I was mowing the lawn. We had a dog, and the dog had this little rubber football, and our styrofoam football, and we left it in the yard. And I had my headphones on, and I was, you know, bumping my music, and I'm mowing the lawn, and I didn't see it, and I, you know, I sucked it up, and I was like, oh, man, you know what? I can, it's repairable. I can just grab it from the mow, you know, lawnmower and, you know, give it back to the dog. But when I looked underneath the lawnmower, it ripped it to shreds. That is what God does to the nations that don't serve and worship him. Now, I'm not trying to be, make you fearful because I don't think scare tactics get you into heaven. I genuinely believe Jesus gets you into heaven. And so if you're stuck at verse 12, in other words, if you're in this room and you haven't trusted Jesus, you're at verse 12. What you need to get to is verse 13. Because verse 13 will say, you went out for the salvation of your people. That's verse 13. Verse 13 says, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind scattered uh, to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled over the sea with his horses, the surging of the mighty waters. What kind of God is this that we are reading about? What kind of God is this that 
that the Bible just literally said in verse 11 that the sun and the moon stood still for him. Like, you know, the, the planet Earth is 90, about 93 million miles away from the sun. And m- many believe that if you move the Earth 10 feet closer to the sun, we'd all burn up. If you move it 10 feet away from the sun, we'd all freeze to death. And so there's no way for us that nobody's in this room is big enough to go and put the sun in their hand and palm it like it's a basketball. But that sun that we can't go near and can't get too far away from bows at our God. What kind of God is this that is able to look at the sea, put his finger in the sea and have it part for his people to cross over? Not just cross on muddy land, but look at the text, cross on dry land. What kind of God is this that tramples over nations and threshes nations? And it's impossible for us being mortal, sinful people in this room. It is impossible for us to understand this God outside of the person of Christ. Here's why. Because Jesus explains everything that God the Father is. Okay, let me put Bible there. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In other words, everything you want to know about God the Father, we look to Jesus Christ to see. So you want to know about the holiness of God, we look to Jesus Christ. You want to know about the kindness of God, we look to Jesus Christ. You want to know about the mercy of God, you look to Jesus Christ. You want to know about the wrath of God, we look to Jesus Christ. You want to know about the sacrificial nature of God, we get to look to Jesus Christ. Because he explains, he becomes the intimate one that explains the God that dwells in unapproachable lights. And he now, you know, Jesus isn't like your fire insurance. Like he's not just saving you from the lake of fire. He's presenting you to be in a relationship with the God that threshes the nations. He presents you to be in relationship with the God that makes the sun and the moon bow down. You are in relationship with that God through Jesus Christ. Because on the cross of Jesus Christ, that's why I love about this text, in the middle of Habakkuk 3 talking about wrath and wrath and anger, what we see is love and mercy because the wrath of God, the threshing of the nations, isn't you. you should, your name should be written in verse 12. Let me help you. Like, don't think I'm a good person because that's what we do. Can, can we dispel this, you know, this myth that God accepts you because you're a good person? Because if that's the case, you know, God doesn't accept you based on good. You know, he demands perfection. Like that's different than good. You can be a good person. You can help an old lady across the street. You can, you know, pay your tax. You can do everything that you're supposed to do and still not meet the holy standard of God because the holy standard of God is a 100 on the test. So in other words, you get a 99, you're crushed. You You get an 80, you won't make it. What God accepts is 100. But here's what I love about Jesus in in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ stood on the cross condemned for you. What we read in the text about the threshing of the nations, Jesus stood on the cross and was threshed by his own father. Here's what I love about God. He said "It it pleases the father when the son is crushed. Why? Because you get to get in relationship with the Father. It's the only way. Jesus is not the better of a bunch of options. He's the only way to be in relationship with God the Father. He's the only way to be in relationship with the one that the text says threshes the nations. 
You know, my boy Rich Rivera, Pastor Rich Rivera, when he was here on Good Friday, he was preaching and he talked about how the resurrection, you know, he said, man, he said, I'm not shocked in any way that God is able, like the all-powerful God is able to raise Jesus from the dead. That's not shocking to me because he's all-powerful. But for that same God to get up on a cross, see, that, that should do something to your heart. Because God does not have to get on the cross to take the full punishment for you. I'm reminded of a story of an Indian chief that th- there was a, a, a famine in his land. And this Indian chief, you know, he, he started to get worried because people started to steal from each other within the village. And so this Indian chief said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put out a law that the next person that is caught stealing, we're going to take him into the middle of the village and we're going to wrap him around a pole and we're going to flog him or beat him publicly to embarrass him and to punish him for stealing. So he put out this law and sure enough, the next day they found the thief. So the Indian chief says, bring him, tell all the village to come down. Everybody wanted to see who the thief was. And they bring out the thief to wrap him to a pole and it was the chief's own mother. Okay, so the chief is sitting there like, okay, what do I do? Should I execute wrath and judgment, which I said I was going to do, or should I show mercy and kindness to my mother? Because if I don't, then I'm not, I'm not really a just chief if I don't execute wrath and judgment. But at the same time, if I beat my own mother, then I'm not merciful and gracious. Here's what I'm going to do. He says, take my mother and wrap her to that pole. She wraps her on her frail body around this pole. And then the chief says, bring the punisher. And the punisher comes with his whip. And before he strikes the first blow, the chief says, hold up. He goes and he wraps his big, broad body around her frail body. And he says, now go ahead and punish. And the executor begins to beat. But the mother doesn't get touched. The, the chief gets, he takes the beating for the mother. Okay, just in case you, you haven't connected the dots yet, there is a, na- a God named Jesus Christ that has 100% wrapped his broad body around your frail sin and took it for you. And that's why worship is so important. We can't come in here and be cute and calm and collective because there is a Christ that died for your sins. There was a Christ that wrapped his body around yours. And you in this room will be like that frail mother. You will never experience one blow of the wrath of God because Jesus has absorbed it all. Is this not good news? I want to end our time by by genuinely praying because I think that if, if some of you in this room have trusted in Jesus, I'm willing to bet that you've you've really lost a sense of awe over the gospel, which is why we worship the way we do, which is why we come in here and we don't get before God, which is why you go all week and don't read your Bible, because there's no real sense of reverence before the Lord. Here's the other part of the prayer. There are some of you in here that don't know Jesus. And my fear is that you're still in verse 12. My prayer is that you'll get to verse 13. He went out of his way for the salvation of his people. Father, I want to pray for every person in this room. There are some people that are in this room that have trusted in you, but we lack this sense of worship. We lack this sense of praise and adoration to you. And we lack it because we don't want to embarrass ourselves. I brought my friend. I don't want them to see me worship. I got my nice clothes on. I don't want nobody to see me worship. 
Father, forgive us for half-heartedly worshiping you. When you gave your all for us, we give you half. Forgive us, God. Father, I also want to pray for the person in this room that's a skeptic. Thank you that they're here, Lord. Thank you that they came this morning. Pray for that person that doesn't believe in you. Pray for that person that believes in another God. Father, would you outshine any other God? And what makes you different, God, is that you don't require us to work for our salvation because we couldn't work enough. But in your gospel, you sent your only son to do what we never could have done, which was keep your law. 100% keep it. So, Father, I pray this morning for the person that doesn't know you. And I think about the threshing of the nations. Father, that was me before I knew you. But thank you that Jesus Christ does in six hours on the cross what it would have taken everybody in this room eternity in hell to do. What is that? Satisfy your wrath. Father, you are a holy God. And you don't play with sin. Would you help us, oh God, to give our lives to you 100%. It is in Christ's name, in Christ's name alone we pray. Amen.